Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we do pray what we just sang. Abide with us. May the cross be ever before our eyes, Lord, today. We ask, Lord, for grace as we go through this world because we don't exist in some fairy tale world. We don't exist in some fictional world, but we are in the real world, and in the real world, you are Lord today. And so may you be before us today. May Christ be before us now. Help us, Lord, that you would be the one that we would give all of our hearts to, all of our lives to. We would come before you this morning honestly, humbly, simply laying on the table all our sins and, and admitting that, yes, we are sinners, but we come in view of a great Savior. And so we come this morning in view of the cross. And we come indeed thankful as we are celebrating this Mother's Day for our mothers and the blessings they are to us, you have given each one to us and we come and we praise you for them. We thank you for the many, many ways that we have been shaped by our moms. And so we come grateful for them. We pray for them this morning that you would help them strengthen Weak knees, may you grow them, help them as they labor and as they toil and as they give of themselves. May you bless them in their, their efforts. May they grow in the fear of the Lord in every area of life. May you ever be Lord in their hearts, in their words, and their thoughts, in their hands and their feet, we pray. We pray now as we turn to your word, Lord, that you may give us grace and resolve of soul and of our hearts. Help us, we pray. We are so often laid low by many things in this world, by things that maybe we never even thought were coming and how quickly they can bring us low. But this morning, may we look high to the one who is high and lifted up, the great and the only and the living God, the one who reigns now, today. And so may you help us lift our eyes high this morning and may we submit and bow before you, the holy and good God. May we submit and bow before your holy and good will As we hear your word, may we come to the end of the words we'll be reading here this morning in a moment. May we simply say, may your will be done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther. And so we'll be in Esther chapter 2, verses 19 through chapter 3, verses 15. 
And so we'll begin reading there in chapter 2, verse 19 this morning. So may God indeed bless the reading of His true Word. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not, been, had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days as Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they had spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Hazarus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed." And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charged the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. And so the king took his segment ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day, the first month, and an edict according to that Haman, that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors of all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. 
Letters were sent by Kurs to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. So when I was younger, I loved to draw. So I wasn't so much of a painter, although I thought... It would be neat to learn someday how to paint. I still haven't learned how to paint. But you never know, maybe, someday down the line. But mainly, I just love to sit down and draw. And I don't really have time for that today, but I would love to do it again. And I love just, you know, sitting down and, you know, picking out a picture to draw. I'm not one that can necessarily come up in my mind and then draw it all out. I have to have a picture and kind of to draw that picture, and so I just love to do that, to take a picture and pick it and then draw it out. And at first, as you know, if you like to draw, the drawing at first doesn't really look like much at all, does it? I mean, you've got your lines and some curves and so on, and usually you kind of make them rather light on the page. You're not like pointing down the pencil, you know, and then you have to erase it because you made all these mistakes. You do it very lightly So you can kind of erase it as you go, as you make mistakes. And then you go back and you fill it all in later. But of course, after a while, it all begins to come together, doesn't it? The picture does. You know, the picture begins to take form. It begins to look like something finally, you know what? It was all these scribbles and so on. And you're like, okay, you know, I don't know what you're drawing there. But, you know, maybe it'll be something in the end. Well, now it begins to do that. But where where we are in the book of Esther, we have mostly been providing, kind of been provided, the introductory kind of structure to the picture. And so we're kind of have seen these various kind of marks and, you know, curves and drawings along the way. Well, this morning... One of the big parts of the story will begin to take shape. And so far, if you've been with us over these last weeks as we've been walking through the book of Esther, we've seen a rather dark picture, haven't we? I mean, it it really hasn't been as light and fluffy as a lot of the movies have kind of made it out to be. We have seen a king and his immense, immense pride. I mean, feasts for six months of feast. And then another feast for seven days. And what was all that about? It was about magnifying him. <laughs> you know, look at how great I am, everybody. Let's have a feast for it. And so that's what that was about. But then 
Oh, Vashti, everyone else is learning and, or listening to him and doing his bidding at his word. And then Vashti just does not. And he is not happy with that. And so what does he do? He, he goes and he banishes Bash, Bash, Vashti on a whim. And so after that, we see the king and much later he is regretting what he did. And rather than going to the queen and making things right, what does he do? But he goes a step further. And he says, well, I'm not all that happy right now. And my advisors just told me, why don't I start searching for a queen? Well, why don't I do that? That way I can maximize my own pleasure like I always do. And that's not an overstatement. We saw that, that he was indeed looking for someone who would meet his pleasures and not just a wife or queen. And so that's what he did. Kingdom-wide search for a queen. And he takes all these beautiful women from all of his provinces and he sleeps with every single one. And then he puts them aside in his harem, probably never to be seen again. Oh, how great you are, King Ahasuerus, and what evils you have done. And so we have seen indeed a dark picture so far. However, amidst that dark background, we have here momentarily a brief reprieve. And the plot lightens with chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. So Esther, as you know, she was the woman who was chosen by the king. And so now she is queen. And Mordecai, her cousin, he tur- you know, turned father, caring for Esther... Has also he has also moved up in the world as well, and so he's he's not just as you see him kind of continually going to the king's gate here. He's not just kind of going there for fun, like hey guys, you know I'm here again, the king's gate. <laughs> you know, hey, that's not what's going on here. As you see this again and again, I mean, why is Mordecai keep going to the king's gate? Well, it's not just because he likes it, but he very likely had been given a position there, maybe even appointed. By Queen Esther herself. So in contrast to the selfish acts that we've seen so far in the book of Esther, it's here that we find a rather selfless act. So as Mordecai is there in the king's gate, he discovers the eunuch's plot to kill the king. Now their plot, it's not... Entirely surprising. You know, history, it shows that kings and emperors, they are often, of course, you know, prime targets for assassination. I mean, we see this again and again and again throughout history, right? We just think of Rome. I mean, empire, you know, emperor after emperor. I mean, just boom, 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 assassination, you know. Again and again, prime targets for assassination. And so it's not a surprise that we see that here. And no doubt... 
I mean, King Ahasuerus, he has made enemies. In fact, again, perhaps challenging the way that we see some of the movies today on Esther. You know, as it wasn't that, you know, King Ahasuerus and Esther kind of rode into the sunset, you know, with nice romantic music in the background. That's not how the story ends. In, in 465 B.C., King Ahasuerus would be assassinated in his own bedroom. And so that's the end of the story for King Ahasuerus. Well, that's not what happens here, though. Mordecai, he foils their plot, and he's forgotten. So Mordecai, he's there in the king's gate, and I don't know what he's doing exactly, but he's there. And so are these other two guys, you know, very wise guys, I'm sure, you know, talking about killing the king in the king's gate, (laughs) you know, good job, you know, that's a good idea if you're wanting to plot, you know, assassinating the king, why don't you do it right in near the king himself, very smart, well, that's what they were doing, and Mordecai overhears them, and he hears of their plot, and he goes and he tells Esther, and then Esther goes and tells the king. And so all of this happens in Mordecai's name. So at this point in the story, and you would be right, and you may even want to do this, you would be right to write in your Bibles, this will matter later. (laughs) Because it will. Big time. Now forget all that for a second, that... In the story of Esther, this moment is massively important. Now forget all that, though, and just put yourself in Mordecai's shoes. Now there you are. You just saved the king, you know? All right. I mean, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, you know, I mean, surely the king is going to do something for me, you know? I mean, that's generally what kings do is they'll, they'll in some way honor those who have done something like this. I mean, this is not a small thing. I saved his life. I mean, he'll do something for me. Maybe when I get home, I mean, something will be there. Maybe a fruit basket or something. You know, thank you sincerely from the very, 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 very great King Ahasuerus. Right? I mean, something like that's going on, I'm sure. You know, in Mordecai's mind... Yet what happens? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing happened at all. The events of the saving of the king's life were recorded in a book. Thank you. (laughs) And so Mordecai and what he's done is forgotten. Now, if you're Mordecai, I'm sure you're not feeling all that great about that, (laughs) you know? I mean, I just did all this for the king, and remember, you're, you're not, you don't know all that's coming down the line. In fact, you know nothing about it at all. So how are you feeling right now? No promotion. 
nothing. Well, that's where very likely Mordecai is. But God is at work, isn't he? Now, you might recall there's another person in biblical history who was forgotten. You know what I'm talking about? Well, let me tell you. So after interpreting the chief cupbearer's dream and the chief baker's dream and being right, <laughs> it says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Well, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I mean, after all that Joseph has experienced, right? I mean, being sold off by his brothers into slavery, being thrown into prison. Here comes the cupbearer and the baker. You interpret their dreams. It happens exactly like you said. As God had given you the grace to interpret those dreams and they forget you. But Joseph wasn't forgotten, was he? Not at all. God was at work in ways that Joseph could never even imagine. Like in just a little while, I'm going to be second to Pharaoh. I mean, like, could you imagine that in your life? Like, oh yeah, it's going to happen. No. Well, God was at work in Joseph's story, and so is God at work here also in Mordecai's and Esther's. And maybe you're like Mordecai here today, and you've been forgotten. Well, maybe, maybe it isn't that you have been particularly forgotten. You just feel forgotten. Yet even so, see here the divine purpose in seemingly insignificant details. Now, I know what it's like to be forgotten, and I'm sure you do as well. Maybe you have been overlooked for all variety of things, it's not fun, is it? <laughs> it's not like, you know, going home and eating a big bowl of ice cream, right? You know, I just love it when people forget about me. You know, they don't think about me at all, you know, when they just forget my birthday. I mean, that just, that blesses my heart, you know. <laughs> or, maybe, you know, forget me entirely or, or our anniversary or just anything I've done whatsoever. I just love that, you know. That's great. Well, that, that's not how we respond, is it? I mean, it's not easy to be forgotten. Yet, I want us to see here that even in things like that, don't lose sight of God. See that God, He is in the details of this story, even of being forgotten, massively important. In just a little while, the whole story will turn on that fact. 
and things will change because of him being forgotten. But he doesn't know that. And you don't really either. God, he is in the details of this story, but he's in the details of your story as well. I mean, these seemingly insignificant details, they are not insignificant at all. I mean, as we go on, as I've said, they are mightily, mightily significant. Yet Mordecai, he does not know all those things. Nor do you. At the moment, it just seems like you're being forgotten. I'm being overlooked for promotion. They didn't pick me for that task. I can't, I can't move there. I can't go here. I can't get that house. Or I can't get this or that. Or I can't have this. Or I can't have that. Yet even so, in moments like this, in moments like that, even when you are not honored, God, he is providentially using all of those things for his purposes. I mean, how many of us, we fight for honor, we fight for respect, we fight for people to notice us, yet we need to ask, who really are we trying to advance here? I mean, whose honor are we primarily after? Are we after his glory or our own? Whose honor are we after? And so you might say to all this that God being in the seemingly insignificant details of your life, you might say, well, okay, but no, I, I'm really, I'm nothing. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't care for little old me. I mean, that little thing over there with being forgotten here or this little thing over here, I mean, he's not, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. Well, my answer to that is yes and no. And let me explain Yes, you are right. We are nothing in that God, he does not need us. He made us, but he is entirely, completely satisfied in himself. He loves himself above all things. And if that's not true, then whatever God does love, we need to love that because that's God. You see the problem if he loves anything more than himself? But throughout all of eternity, before time existed, there was the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally in relationship to each other, satisfied. And yet, God, because he wanted to, he created us. Doesn't need us. He's not lonely. Never has been lonely, not by one day and so i would say that you're right on that i'm nothing part because that's a far better and safer answer than those who can't imagine anyone not thinking about them like yeah of course you would think about me you know i'm kind of a big deal i mean have you heard of me yet i mean have you heard of what i've done you know i mean 
I'm, I'm pretty hot stuff if you haven't heard. You know, those with, you know, big kind of buggy eyes for themselves. Well, if you're there, that is in a bad place. That's not good. It would be better that you would say the first part, I am nothing, rather than the other. And so, yes to that. However, it's no as well to the latter part of your statement. You wouldn't care about little old me. (laughs) Well, friend, I want you to hear me here. And I want you to know it well. That he does. He cares for you. Specifically, you. He loves you. He made you. And he would come and die for you. So consider Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10. What does he say there of the sparrow? Let me read it for you. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will, apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Just fathom that. He knows every single hair on your head. I mean, how many of your family members have counted all your hairs? (laughs) You know, none, none of them, right? But God has. He loves you. He cares for you deeply. And that is the main thing, isn't it? He knows and he cares about you. You might well be forgotten. But the main thing isn't your eyes on the fact that you were not honored. But you know that God is in control and he cares for you. And you can trust him every single step of the way in being in slavery, in being in prison, in being forgotten, in not getting that promotion, not getting that house or anything else. Not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. Friends, he cares for you. And he loves you so much. He loves you so greatly that he sent his one and only son into the world to save you. And so if you are here this morning and maybe others have forgotten you, maybe, you know, you feel like you're, you're done, you know, you have no place, no one has accepted you, no one receives you. Well, God, Jesus Christ came to save you, to receive you with open arms. He came and died on the cross for your sin, for your shame, for your guilt, that where you were separated from God, you would not be separated any longer. That through Christ, you will know God himself. And all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt 
will be forgiven. And what he puts and declares over you is righteous. Because of Christ. That's how much he loves you. That he would send his son to die for you. So he, so the answer is no. He has not and he will not forget about you. And of course this is Mother's Day. And so this certainly applies to mothers as well, doesn't it? God, he knows about you. He knows about your labor and your toil and your work. I mean, we have one day of the year to honor mothers. And so it's very likely, I would imagine, that you mothers have felt forgotten at some point. <laughs> like maybe you haven't been honored as much as you should. And I'll say, yes, I know I don't honor as much as I should. But know this, God has not forgotten you. He knows all that you do. He knows your late nights. He knows your early mornings. He knows you. He knows your love. He knows how you've been spending yourself for others. He knows your heart. He knows your fears. He knows your needs. He knows that you're lonely. He knows that others may have forgotten you, but he has not forgotten you. He knows. So hear the call of God this morning to keep your eyes on him. He is faithful. And he will use all of your efforts ultimately for his glory, even if you never see it in this life. So be faithful, mothers, even if you are forgotten. And yet all this, the divine purposes, they extend even farther as well. And what I mean by this is see the divine purpose even in your life every single day. You know, we can't, we can't see it all, like all how this fits together or map out all that God is doing in our lives. And really, we shouldn't even try. We just need to just live our lives. And as we do that, for his namesake, God is mysteriously working in all of these things. We act, we speak, we live by faith. And he is weaving all of this together into a beautiful tapestry for his Glory. And so you may not see all that right now in what you're doing or even ever in this life, but you can know that He is. And so trust Him when trials come that maybe you never saw coming. Things that try you and they keep trying you again and again and again. Keep trusting Him. Because we know how this story ends, don't we? And I don't mean the story of Esther. I mean the big story. We know how that story ends. The final word, it is not a secular word. It's not an atheistic word. It is not a devilish word. It is God's word. And it will stand forever.
So Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so see God's purpose in your life every day. And then see the divine purpose in ways that go beyond you as well. So all of this with Esther and Mordecai, King Hazarus and everything else and the plot against the king, all of this goes beyond them, doesn't it? Is it mainly about Mordecai and Esther and all these things? Is that what this story is primarily about? And the answer would be no. It's all of these things are advancing God's plans to bring about the deliverance of his people. And so your and my life also, they go beyond what you see right now. You, you wouldn't think that being forgotten was a good thing, yet how deep and wide is God's infinite wisdom that he uses all of this in ways that are massively important. Like, for example, Jesus who would come, be born in Bethlehem as a Jew, right? That's how big they are hundreds and hundreds of years later. God is interweaving and working in all these things. It's incredible. And so in light of all this, keep leaning upon Him. Keep following His Word and aiming at His glory, knowing that He has not forgotten you. Memorize Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So like I said before, that was the lightning of the the plot here, or of the story. Not lightning like, but lightning. Because what follows is not light at all. Next we see here the plot darkens. And it's not good. I mean, right off we meet the enemy of the people of God. So here we meet Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. So who was this guy? Well, the second part of that, son of Hamadatha, we really don't know much about all that. But we have an inkling of what the first part of this means, the Agagite. So back in 1 Samuel 15, before Israel went into exile... And the first king, Saul, was on the throne. God, he told Saul to bring his right and righteous judgment upon the Amalekites and their king, who was King Agag. (laughs) So at this point, we think Agagites. (laughs) If you can say it, say it three times fast. Agagites. So as it would go, Saul did not follow God's instructions... And Samuel would have to go and slay King Agag himself. And so the Amalekites, however, 
They went on to be a persistent thorn in Israel's side for years to come. And so then here is Haman, the Agagite. Now this could be saying here that Haman was an Amalekite, which very well could be true, or it could simply be that he was like an Amalekite or Agagite. But either way, they were enemies of Israel. And like them, we see it said of Haman that he is, in verse 10, the enemy of the Jews. And so for some reason here, we're not told why, Mordecai does not bow the knee to Haman. Now, the first thought that probably comes to our mind is he is not going to worship some sort of false kind of worship going on here. Well, that's likely not what's going on here. Because this was generally an acceptable practice among all the kingdoms, that you would honor those in respectable positions. Even Israel does this with their kings. And so it's likely, and I would say very likely, that it was not at all about worship here. But we don't really know why he wasn't bowing. Maybe he was angry that he wasn't honored. But we don't know. And so Haman, he is furious at this. Because why? Because he is a man about his honor. (laughs) He's not saying, don't honor me. He's saying, I will be honored. And if you don't honor me, you're going to pay. And so the verses ahead lay out the evil plan. They lay out Haman's plot to destroy all of the Jews. And so we're told there in verse 6, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Now just for perspective, that would extend into Jerusalem as well. Because that was part of the kingdom of Persia. And so that decree, that goal, would wipe out all Jews everywhere. Absolutely shocking. And perhaps to just emphasize the shock of it all, it just gives us one verse to say that. In verse 6, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Hazarus. I mean, it doesn't say like, what? It doesn't do any of those things. Just one verse. Now, at this point, you would think that maybe the king wouldn't just go along with this without asking some questions. Like, I mean, who are these people, you know? However, Haman, he goes, after he goes to the king, as we've so often seen, the king is just so easily manipulated by his advisors and by people, and he just is fine with it. (laughs) And so Haman, he speaks in these kind of generalities and even offers to give the king 300 tons of silver, so 10,000 talents, In verse 9, to sway the king. And so Haman then is given full authority to exterminate God's people. So verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy 
of the Jews. And so the king, in giving Haman his signet ring, is giving Haman complete authority to do whatever he wants to do. I mean, this is a scary, scary situation here. Imagine you are a Jew at this point. Uh Oh, big time. And so as we learn from verse 7, Haman has these lots cast or purr to decide the day. The order will be carried out. And so 11 months from when this decree goes out, it's to happen. And so verse 12, on the eve of Passover, think about that, the edict is sent out. As the Jews are getting ready to celebrate the deliverance of God out of Egypt, here comes this decree saying, all of you are going to be killed. I think God is saying, no. (laughs) On the eve of Passover, I don't think so. To see the providence of God here in these things. And so it goes out and it sends Susa into a panic while the king and Haman drink as though they could care less. (laughs) So one layer of evil upon another. Now Haman, he is not the devil, but in Esther, he is certainly being used by the devil. And so let me remind you here that this story, it's not a fictional story. These things happened and it's dealing with our world and in our real world, see the devil's efforts are real also. Now make no mistake in hearing that God is God. I mean, there's not a, a battle go- going on but, you know, between God and Satan. And you're like, oh no, I wonder who's going to win. You know, that's, that's not what's going on between God and Satan. God is God. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is great. He is infinitely holy, infinitely glorious. And he is amazing. Yet... Satan is none of those things. He is a created being. Not equal to God. He's a creature. He's a fallen angel. He was made by God. And yet even now, Satan lives under God's rule and reign. You wonder about that? Go read Job. (laughs) Who Who does Satan come to? Can I... Can I do this to Job, God? Now, I admit there's immense amount of mystery there. But that's all that is. Because God is not evil, nor is he the author of evil. Satan is responsible for all that he has done and he does. And what is his aim for you, Christian? It is his aim to destroy us, whether that be directly or indirectly. He would love to see each and every one of you 
die in your sins. He would love to see you die rejecting God. He would love to see you die rejecting Christ and going on into a Christless eternity. Well, friends, do not go that way. Flee to Christ. Don't run from Christ. Satan is a liar. 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he is really doing that today. And then see, also, the devil's efforts are strategic. I mean, we can hear... I don't know if you can hear them, but you can hear the hiss behind Haman's words to the king. I mean, see what's happening here. I mean, this is, I mean, he's manipulating the king, a people. You know, these people are no good. You don't want these people around, never mentions who they are. Sounds kind of like Satan in Genesis chapter 3. So we need to see what's happening here. This is an all-out effort to undo the plans and purposes of God. And that's what's going on here, whether Haman knows it or not. And so see that the devil's efforts are strategic, and then see also the devil's efforts are evil. When we see how far he'll go here, right? He'll do this and more. When we can see... Easily how evil, evil can be as we look out over the course of history. I mean, we see it again, grievously, again and again and again. I mean, even today we see how great and deep real evil is and how in even one version of that today, don't we? And one version of that today is certainly abortion. I mean, abortion is a modern-day version of Haman's efforts. Do you see the parallel here? I mean, just consider the response this past week to the leak of the Supreme Court's draft opinion saying that it was essentially you know, overturned Roe versus Wade. Haman was furious. Is that not what we've seen this week? Raging, fury, anger, defiance, a modern day Haman. So, how are we to think about that raging? Ephesians 6. 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're to put things in perspective. So that is what we are to do. We are to be wise 
and to be ready. Put on the whole, the full armor of God. Don't flee to your own resources. Flee to God. Pray. Walk by the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm not, I'm not just kind of coming up with that off the top of my head in the same breath. Paul, he says in the same chapter, Ephesians 6, verse 18, he urges you, saints, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we, as the church of God, we need to be praying for the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the eventual total ending of abortion. We need to be pleading with God, praying and seeking His face with all prayers and supplications. We need to be speaking about these things. And as you pray, and as we look out as the enemy rages, as one Haman rises up after another, know that he is a defeated enemy, as in the devil is a defeated enemy. God's plans have not failed, nor will they. There will be Haman's until Christ returns, yet Luther's hymn is right. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And so it is that we read in Colossians 2.15, He, the Father, Disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus Christ. And so, though trials may be great, though fig trees may not blossom and fruit might not be on the vines, it might seem like you are forgotten, yet may you, church, rejoice in the Lord And take joy in the God who delivers and saves and still redeems today. And lastly, don't join him. Don't join him. And what I mean is don't join Haman in your heart. We're seeing a lot of that today from Christians as well. Don't join him in going around and hating other people. Destroying them. Maybe not with a gun or with your fists, but with your words and your actions. Don't join him in going around hating others. We aren't told to be known for that church. We're told to bear the fruit of the spirit of love. We're told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And so we'd be right to ask ourselves, are we doing that today? How are you 
loving your enemies. And I'm not saying you don't stand against abortion. I'm not saying that you seek to persuade people to say, don't do that. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm saying you do all those things without hatred in your heart towards them. You do that with the love of Christ in you, recognizing that apart from the grace of God, so go you also. It's only grace that you are saved. So don't go around hating others, but demonstrating the love of Christ before them. So Haman is not to typify us We are to shine forth the love of Christ. And so it is, as Jesus told Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so see it clearly this morning that God's purposes and plans, they will not be thwarted. See that Christ is Lord. Declare him. Stand. Speak. Be forgotten to the glory of God. And see that though the revolt against God is great, that no plan, no plot, where effort can thwart the purposes and plans of our great God. Let's pray together. Father, we come. We pray simply this morning that you would apply these truths to our heart. Wherever you are in the spectrum of the things that we've seen in your word this morning, may you do your work in our hearts now. And may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.